This is an ABC podcast. We had a whole plan for how this episode was going to start. This is a podcast about Newcastle, and we thought, what better spot that sums up the history of the area than the old BHP site? For 82 years, BHP has been a dominant force in Newcastle. You know, throughout the 20th century, this was the beating heart of the city. Generations of families made their livelihood up here. Newcastle Steel built this region from the ground up. But as I pulled up to get out of the car, just to have a bit of a walk... And all I heard was a security message coming from somewhere around me. Something about security. That a vehicle had been dispatched. All right, we're not gonna, we're gonna, we're not gonna hang here to find out. I jumped in the car and I hightailed it. So now I'm sitting on the side of Industrial Drive, just around the corner. And look, here's what I did see. Lots of fences, barbed wire, boarded up buildings. Clearly a very powerful security detail, still doing the rounds of the site. But that history of manufacturing is just that. History. And Newcastle has had to evolve. I'm Kaya Handley. This is the Newcastle Hunter Catch-Up. And today I'm going to take you on a journey. All about how Steel City became a smart city. Through trial and error and a whole lot of testing. Now, the BHP site was still smelting when Ganella Burrows first arrived in Newcastle. My husband and I arrived with two very young kids in the early 90s. Having both studied in Sydney, we hadn't really visited Newcastle, so we were a bit um, worried about <laughs> our transition up here because of all the stigma around the coal and the mm. dirt and the, that sort of um, industrial city. But we came up here and absolutely fell in love. Ganilla and her husband were starting a business. Once we started our company, we, I suppose, battled for a number of years. It was an interesting time as well in The Hunter because the unemployment rate was very high. There was a lot of talk about the brain drain out of Newcastle. And then, of course, um, it was also the time that BHP had closed. Hey, good morning, and let's go to the factory floor at BHP Steel in Newcastle. This is a campaign for jobs. If you don't try and fight hard to defend your jobs, well, you know in advance you're going to lose automatically. There is a life beyond BHP. There's a life beyond steel production. How do you feel about BHP closing? I feel very sad because there'll be lots of men out of work. I have one son, soon be 50, and he's worked there ever since he left school. I don't think he'll find another job. I think we are really in that period of trying to reinvent ourselves. The pathway for me was I, I wanted to do something more to support entrepreneurs and founders and, and yeah, so I, I started my journey down mm. in that direction. It really opened my eyes to the innovative city mm. and region this was, not only at the time but in its past and just saw so much potential, yeah. Ganella got into something called angel investing. Now, an angel investor is someone who provides the first batch of funding for new startups and ideas. 
seeds. With her group, Hunter Angels, they sow smart seeds and over time watch them grow. She's such a believer in Newcastle that she named her startup incubator 1804. That's the year Newcastle was founded. I've heard you call Newcastle a, a Goldilocks city. Will you tell me why? Yeah, I I love that term because I think Newcastle is just right. It's just the right size. It's small enough where we can connect to people. I mean, the benefits of that are amazing. You can actually know state or federal members uh, or industry leaders as, you know, friends. That is very powerful, that sort of, those connections. It's small enough for that, and yet it's big enough to have infrastructure. I mean, of course, we've got an amazing port and airport and... We all struggle with the slow train to Sydney, but hopefully that will improve. So actually the Goldilocks city for Newcastle is also the the living lab. Mm. And there's been a lot of talk around Newcastle being the perfect place to test Mm. ideas. And that's basically what the living lab is, is to, to be this open, innovative ecosystem to actually test technology in real time Um, in a real-life setting is a huge advantage Mm. for startups. So we're probably mixing metaphors there. Living lab, Goldilocks city, but the fact that Newcastle is this weird but ideal mix of not too big, not too small, just right, has always been known by market researchers. In fact, Newcastle has historically been the testing site for new products. From hits like... Arnott's Tiny Teddy Biscuits, Macca's Brekkie Menu, to flops like, do you remember Greg Norman had a line of pasta sauces? No, you don't, because people in Newcastle tried it and gave the shark a big old thumbs down. Companies have been testing and trusting what works in Newcastle for ages, and as technology has improved, there are new ways for people to test things and learn from them. Take, for example, e-bikes and e-scooters. Now, to the average person, they're just a really fun way to get around without working out per sweat. But to a bureaucrat... It's, it's a free deployment of a mobile IoT network. That's Josh Sattler. He's the CEO of Lake Macquarie's Economic Development Corporation, which is called Dantia. And his job is to make Lake Mac smarter. Really, a smart city to me is something that's got now a, a vocabulary and actually can tell you what's going on rather than you sitting on a street corner counting cars. Essentially, you're just teaching a city to talk to you in a vocabulary you can actually understand. So for me, that's a smart city, one that can talk. You might think of flying cars, giant skyscrapers when you think of smart cities, but it's actually much simpler than that. And thanks to trialling technology like e-scooters, people are able to learn a lot more about what the region is trying to tell them. So on these scooters, they can measure footpath undulations, which in essence will tell you where you need to go and fix the footpath. Um, It also can measure how many people are on the footpath, what you're going past. So it can, using the analytics, it can draw out insights associated with who you're passing, whether it's a male, female, whether it's a kid, a dog on a leash etc, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, so some of these analytical insights uh, are really rich and potent from a rapid data ingestion perspective. And you can draw really powerful insights from that. I had no idea that it wasn't, that it was anything more than me just jumping on a bike and fanging around the lake. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll try and measure your smile frequency as well if we can. Wee! That's all you'll hear. <laughs> the pitch of the wee maybe, it might work well. <laughs> 
it's not just e-scooters to be excited about, though. Some of this technology of a smart city... It's actually quite simple. Two of the aspects where you can build that out pretty quickly is some sort of security and lighting. So security and lighting would be the two technologies I'll be focused on. The investment that's coming in here over the next couple of years, you know, the numbers are staggering. And it's a, a real, you know, some of the industries are completely shifting. I think that's really exciting. I take representing the community quite seriously and I've got one of those roles where it's really important how we set up futures for the next generation. So it's not necessarily what I think is going to work. Mm. Uh, we really need to engage with that those couple of generations below and say, what, what do you guys need to, to put roots down and stay here longer? And um, what, are, what are some of those things that you need to see in your community and, and work with them on that? It's all about the little things. Lighting, security, transportation, that's what makes a city smart. But it's also about figuring out what a community needs and what's going to keep them going into the future. Like power. There we go. All right, perfect. That's where someone like Fraser Hugson comes in. So I'm Fraser uh, and we are at The Melt, uh, which is currently housing uh, Allegro Labs, <laughs> which is um, our production line for our supercapacitor products. Fraser is one of the founders of Allegro Energy, a startup focused on cleaner, greener energy production. How we produce energy is one of the big questions going forward around our region. And if you've got a bright idea... You might be on the ground floor of something big. You say supercapacitor, but it, like it's in front of us. You hold it in the palm of your hand, right? Yeah. So this is this is a very small one. Uh, so right now we're starting with very very small versions of them. Um, the largest ones that you can find on the market get up to the size of like Coke cans or even bigger. Yep. So where batteries are really good at lasting for a long time, or that's what you want. Um, supercapacitors are for really short bursts of high power. So like if you were to use a supercapacitor in your phone instead, you could recharge your phone in eight seconds. Wow. But it would only last for like an hour. So it's, 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 it's a trade-off. Um, so, so you wouldn't put it in your phone. You wouldn't want to put this in your phone. But you might know a local example of supercaps at work. The Newcastle tram actually already uses supercapacitors um, as, as a power source. Is that when they stop and they quickly charge up? Is yep. that what they're... Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so charging is... So no overhead wires. Yep. So you can quickly charge. So if you tried to do that with a battery, you wouldn't have a battery after very long. <laughs> so you can charge in 30 seconds a minute, people getting on and off or whatever. And then it gives you just enough energy, get to the next stop. You can charge up again and, and keep going around like that. So supercaps are great... Um, application for that. Fraser is here working on brand new tech to make these supercapacitors using a water base. If all the testing is successful, Fraser and his fellow co-founders could be about to change the energy mix and create a trillion dollar market. You know, it started for us, you know, five years ago in a university lab with a bit of an idea. We came up with this tech and we thought it was really cool and, and we were thinking, okay, like, you know, oh, could we try supercapacitors? Oh, we haven't really tried that yet, you know, so that becomes my job. I go, I go away, <laughs> make a few in the lab and they just work and then they keep working and we keep making them better and it just keeps looking better and better and better. Um, you know, eventually I finish a PhD, <laughs> right? And, and um me and the other co-inventors um, and now co-founders, mm. you know, we, we made the decision to go for it, right? Like if we, we wanted to be in control of it, we just, we think the tech is so cool. We love it. We still love it. Um, and we don't want to just sell it off and mm. try to find the next thing because we might not find the next thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like. As part of how they were able to take that ownership was from support of The Melt, which locally looks to grow new initiatives in manufacturing. Without The Melt, 
Fraser's outlook might be a little less rosy. I mean, we'd probably have found a garage somewhere <laughs> and, and it would be a very lonely existence for the few of us just in there setting up. You know, we are, we are a small young company. You know, we don't have expertise all the way through, like everything we need, like even, you know, getting all the electricals wired up here, right? So having some expertise like that here and that we can draw on, it's been great. So we would have made it work, but it, we would definitely be well behind where we, where we are now. People right across the Hunter, from government to industries to academics to you, you're looking at what's next. You've seen manufacturing boom and bust here. And now with energy transition on the cards and power stations like Araring set to close, there's a real hunger for something new. I still really believe in the Hunter as a perfect place to actually do this and lead this for Australia. Uh, You know, lead us out of this hesitation around investing in innovation. Mm. I think that's been a big challenge for us in Australia. And I mean, it's shown statistically that we are not supporting innovation and commercialisation. I saw it maybe not so much now, but definitely we had had that desire to be the next Silicon Valley. And I, I I really think we've got to work out what is our DNA here, what are our strengths as a region, and build on those. Screw Silicon Valley, we're the Hunter Valley. Exactly. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Love it. See, I'm here for the marketing job. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The Newcastle Hunter Catch-Up is made on a Wobbacal land. It's presented and produced by me, Kaya Handley. Produced by Toby Hemmings. Nick Lauber is the supervising producer. And Bridget Murphy is our digital producer. If you like the pod, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week with more local stories from around Newcastle and The Hunter. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.